We started off the semester with a consideration of Robert Townsend's 1987 film, Hollywood Shuffle. I also uh, teach a course on Spike Lee's cinema where I start off uh, with Robert Townsend's uh, Hollywood Shuffle, but for different reasons. I'll just say a, a quick bit about why I use it in the Spike Lee course. One of the things I do in the Spike Lee course is use the Townsend film to tell us a story about the precarity of putting black people, black bodies, and black life on screen. That is, one of the things that Spike Lee's cinema grapples with across his work from the very beginning to his contemporary cinema even, is just what it means to put black people on screen. That is, it's so easy if you want to really portray, you know, the depths and 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 sort of characterological, like you know, the sort of inner structure of, of certain characters and, and certain types in black communities and black neighborhoods and in black history. When you put those on screen, it's so difficult to wrest those free of what Hollywood cinema has made into minstrel tropes and stereotypes that just simply by existing on screen work as a form of degradation. And that Spike Lee, and I think in many ways he is responding uh, in his early cinema especially to the challenges of Hollywood Shuffle. Spike Lee is, is interested in crafting so carefully, sometimes I think too carefully in terms of, of how the films look and watch and flow, but he, I think for very good reason, is obsessively crafting these images that he hopes exceed, go beyond, or maybe just even open up a new horizon for black representation in film. And so if we see Spike Lee's cinema from the very beginning, from She's Gotta Have It and School Days, Do the Right Thing, as a response to Hollywood Shuffle, we can see that Hollywood Shuffle represents a pivot point or a turning point in thinking about what it means to make uh, films by, about, and for black people. But Hollywood Shuffle is going to operate a little bit differently in terms of the imagination and the imaginary uh, intellectual space of this course. This is not a course on Spike Lee. It's not a course on U.S. cinema or African-American cinema. It is rather about Black Atlantic cinema. As I said in our, our first session, what I mean by this Black Atlantic cinema is cinema that is embedded within and also an address to the common but also different experiences of black people in the South Atlantic world. That is in the United States, the Caribbean, and Western Africa. Or maybe I, I think we'll come to see Africa broadly. And those similarities and differences come out in terms of of the kinds of traditions that films, individual films or individual directors are engaging with, but also the different historical experiences that those films both presuppose and draw on and therefore are necessary to make the films work. So for example, what we will see in so much African cinema is, uh, is this obsession with, rightly so, colonialism and 
what it means to live in the post-colony. We'll talk about this in our coming sessions, uh, especially on, on Samban's two films, uh, Black Girl and Mandabi. But the obsession with, with, with colonialism in the post-colony, right? What it means to live and, and create worlds after the end of colonialism is a sort of appropriate, not sort of, it is an appropriate way of thinking about the African experience that doesn't translate directly, although it may translate in some ways as part of the question of the course, to how African-American cinema has to address questions of the United States, of Hollywood, of different kinds of relationships between capitalism, consumption, uh, enslavement and its legacy, uh, segregation and its legacy, how that's part of both what's made into cinema, right? So we will see, you know, that, that it that it haunts so many of these films from the United States that we watch in ways that it won't for um, for Africa and in some ways will in the case of the Caribbean, but also the way the 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 legacies of, of segregation and slavery play themselves out in terms of the practices of Hollywood, right? The kinds of people who are allowed to make films and under what conditions, but also on the kinds of roles and representations that Hollywood cinema or U.S. cinema broadly uh, sees as both possible and in many ways necessary. And really Hollywood Shuffle, it's in the title, Hollywood, is exactly about that. It's about shuffle, as we talked about in class. I thought it was really interesting to play a, a conceptual sort of game of, of, of free association with the term shuffle, right? That it means for, in some ways, can be seen as shuffling, right? Like, a, like a, the, the way you would have a playlist shuffle, right? Which moves around um, randomly to different songs. Uh, the way the roles and, and characters and stereotypes that Robert Townsend puts in the film end up being like a sort of shuffle, like you're going through the playlist of possible African-American characters, all of which at some very deep level and at also some very surface level, so both at the surface and at its depth, are demeaning, degrading, and in that way difficult to watch when Townsend puts them on the screen. They're difficult to watch when Townsend puts them on the screen because he's being satirical, but we also know exactly what he's talking about. So this, the relationship between satire and real life is so disturbing that way, right? Um, but also the, the, the film is about shuffle in the sense of, as I was talking about, just very much at the close of class, it's relationship between the possibilities of representation in Hollywood cinema of black people, black lives, and black bodies, the possibility of those representations being so tied to the minstrel tradition, where you have literally these uh, wild caricatures and stereotypes demeaning African Americans that then become the cornerstones of American entertainment systems in terms of comedy, in terms of drama, in terms of historical uh, 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 pictures and everything about cultural production that then features black people, right? And the black acting school brings that out in this really funny way, but also I think always with Hollywood Shuffle in this deeply painful way. 
So you have the butler who can barely talk. He's addled and dumb and worships the white master, right? You have the, the hypersexualized black male uh, with the Mandingo character. I mean, it's not even coded there. It's just over the top. Um, and, you know, you can just lay out all of those, those you know, colorism and and um, you know masculinity femininity sexuality it's all mapped out in that black acting school very uh, short satirical uh, advertisement but one of the things i want to ask it's so, so that in that way it's sort of laying out how all of you know all of these range of possible characters which dominate american cinema are really just versions of shufflin the sort of minstrelsy caricature and character the thug the pimp the slave but one of the things that i want to really uh let the film do is not only raise this question of how we look at and how we as viewers consume images of black people in cinema images of black people on the screen because we have to be aware of our own consumption and the things that we see as possible the things we allow and the things we joy uh, we enjoy. I said in class, I don't like calling these guilty pleasures. I like to just call them pleasures about which we may reflect and have feelings, one of which may be guilt. But what's important to me about thinking not in terms of guilty pleasure, but in terms of pleasure is to put ourselves in the mix of this conversation about consumption of images of black people, black bodies, and black life, that we are participants in that. And when we start to reflect on our own consumption, what it means to laugh at certain scenes in Townsend's film and the kinds of films that he's evoking, the kinds of humor he's evoking that demean black people. What does it mean across racial lines and racial differences? What does it mean to consume those images? How do they affect us in terms of our politics, our cultural sensibility, but also mark out sort of what things are appropriately funny and inappropriately funny? for white people, for black people, for people outside the United States. You know, we just list out those differences and ask, what does it mean to laugh at, you know, the name of and the jokes about the character in the film noir uh, vignette named Jerry Curl, right? What does it mean to laugh at black hair and black hair products, right? This is the way we as consumers are really put in the middle of the meaning of Hollywood shuffle. But just as we are put in the meaning of Hollywood shuffle in ways that I think upon reflection might make us very uncomfortable, right? That we don't want to be the one who laughed at that when we did. Or we will want to be self-critical about our consumption of these kinds of tropes, these kinds of shuffling characters. But nevertheless, we do and we enjoy it. Like, what does that mean? That, that ought to be about the conscience and ethics of us as consumers of images. That's essential. Films don't exist as autonomous objects. Films exist in relation to us. So we are part of what co-constitutes the meaning of a cinematic event. And when we co-constitute the meaning of a cinematic event, we are seeing the ethics of consumption and things that may affect us in a very deep way in terms of our conscience and may motivate uh, politics of viewing, a politics of demands on filmmakers, on, on uh, studios and cinematic traditions. But also, 
what I want the film to do is not just draw us into this place where we are, we are a centerpiece of the event of, of cinema. And I'd say it again. We are centerpieces, along with the film, the director, the actor, the writer, sound, uh, people. We are at the center of the cinematic event. We are one of the centerpieces. But I also want us to think more broadly, outside of just those images and how we consume them and ethically situate ourselves in relation to them, but also think what the resonance of, of Hollywood Shuffle might mean about our own awareness of black cinema broadly. What I mean by that is this. When I talk about Hollywood Shuffle in class, whether it was this course in the opening day or previous courses where I've made it a sort of beginning or centerpiece of, of a conversation, the one of the sort of universal themes in those conversations is how relatable it seems. How despite the fact that this was 1987 and however many decades that makes it uh, from today, it's still relevant. It still says something about most of American cinema, right? Where even great actors end up having to play these kind of shuffling roles. And that's despairing and we feel like uh, all kinds of uh, different feelings about that and we ought to think and talk about them. But what I'm also want us to ask is if that's our reaction that yes, this is what's available, what does it mean to put that response that we have and put the message of Hollywood cinema next to African cinema when we talk about Samban, right? when we talk about Black Girl and Mandabi, which are from the late 1960s. What does it mean that just those two films to take them? I mean, there's a lot of other Samban and a lot of other uh, African filmmakers we could list here, and some of whom we'll be watching. What does it mean that when we say black cinema and black roles and black people on the screen, what does it mean that we don't go to African cinema? We don't think about, well, how does the fact that Samban had been making films for two decades before Hollywood Shuffle, how does that change the way we understand what Hollywood Shuffle is telling us and how our own consumption and our own habits of thinking about what cinema is and what it's saying and how it says it so linked to a single national tradition rather than thinking across the Atlantic world. And that's where our, um, that's where the title of the course is so important that we're looking at black Atlantic cinema, not just to do a survey of, you know, multiple directors and what they're saying about particular historical moments, colonialism, neo-colonialism, um, you know, poverty, uh, class, uh, gender, sexuality, you know, part of it's to think about how those things resonate differently across geographies, um, but also relate uh, uh, similarly. We're also going to ask, like, what does it mean to think more broadly about black cinema than the United States? What does it mean to break out of that tradition and think about the black Atlantic as its own cinematic tradition? Its own cinematic tradition, not in the sense of a tradition that has, you know, unanimity and agreement and similarity across, you know, vastly different filmmakers, right? Cheryl Dunn and, and you know, Sarah, you know, um, and Samban, Usman Samban. It's not just sort of what do those, how are they the same? That's not what a tradition is, right? A tradition is something that takes up a series of texts, in this case, cinematic texts, 
that draw from a similar experience. What is that similar experience? In some ways, that's part of the question of the course. But in other ways, it's really quite simple. What unites the Black Atlantic world in terms of similarity is the long historical, and by long historical, I mean centuries, of suffering under white violence. And that suffering under white violence, and therefore cinema being this moment in which the filmmaker is tasked with so much, right, to tell the, in some ways, the entire story of black people in Africa and the Caribbean in the United States, or even as we'll see like in South Carolina or in Detroit or Chicago or New York City, right? Sometimes it's hyper-specific, sometimes it's national or regional. But that burden that black filmmakers across the black Atlantic world have, where they need to speak to something essential about all of the people, is something that we have to both understand we bring to the cinematic event, but also that many filmmakers are wrestling with as they make these films. And so when I say they're wrestling with it, and we maybe bring that to them, well, you know, we watch film and we're like, well, what about this experience? Or what about these people? Or why isn't this addressed? And what about this other thing? That's that moment where we load into so much black Atlantic cinema, the burden of talking for all black people. Now maybe with this sort of title of the course and the sensibility about the black Atlantic, you know, for all black people across the Atlantic world or black people on the continent of Africa or black people in the entirety of the Caribbean or the entirety of the United States. That's not just what we bring, because we often do bring that when we ask those questions, like I don't see myself or I don't see this group or that group. So part of it is that, but part of it is also that when you have suffered for centuries from white violence and terror and deprivation in terms of resources, education and, and opportunity, then you're in a position where it's like, you know, Samban, he's, you know, he's known as a sort of father of African cinema, partly because he is a singular kind of genius as a filmmaker, but also because he was the first, right? He was the first to really make a whole series of very serious films. And when we see it that way, right, it's like Samban being the first or one of the first I means Samban is being asked to talk for everybody. But he's also only talking about one thing. That's why I like, just to anticipate this, this first film we'll talk about of his, Black Girl. That's why I like that it's really just a story about one, one young woman. And if you think about like it's, it's a story about one black woman, but also a story that's a story about colonialism in the post-colony, about the persistence of white racism even for those among those white people opposed to colonialism in the 1960s. Right now we're starting to talk in very different ways about both the narrowness, it's about one young woman, of Salbin's filmmaking. He's not trying to talk about all black people in the Atlantic world, but he's also trying to pick up this theme that has broader significance. So what I want Hollywood Shuffle to do, to go back to the, to the, to the first week's viewing and conversation, is to make us think about crafting representations of black people on screen. That's absolutely essential. But it's also to get us to think critically about ourselves and our own consumption patterns and the way we have excluded, perhaps, uh, entire traditions and then thought black film is what I see or what I have seen. Now we start to think more widely. But as we think more widely, we have to be sensitive to the simultaneous 
whole of so many of these films, if not nearly all of them, which is they are often, if not always, about one small person or one small place. But in being about one small person or one small space are also about something bigger. And that's what I think Hollywood Shuffle is trying to get at it. And, and this is my, my like very deep and expansive reading of, of Robert Townsend's film, is that it's about, look how black representation in cinema has been relegated to these really demeaning roles and limiting possibilities. But he's also trying to say that what, what happens when you tell the story of people's lives in these exaggerated stereotypes, you actually can't draw a lesson. That's a broader story about the black experience of anti-black racism from whites that might connect to the Caribbean, that might connect to Africa, right? That might have some resonance. That's what I mean by connect, like resonance or kind of have a share a similar atmosphere or element. You can't do that with wild caricatures and stereotypes because those wild caricatures and stereotypes lock what you're doing, lock it into something that can't signify outside itself. So part of the task of the black filmmaker after Hollywood Shuffle or what Hollywood Shuffle is trying to say, and therefore what I want us to see is that what, what the black filmmaker you know, sort of emerging out of this this all-encompassing cloud of white domination, right, to the moment of having some voice as, as a creative artist, is to say, you know, I'm not speaking for all black people, I'm not, uh, but I also want to talk to some, some larger themes rather than just simply about discrete individuals who I found interesting in my film, right? So it is about the small and the large at the same time, but it's also the way these films are crafting for the first time on the screen, the first time in the history of cinema, are crafting images of black life that allow that small, big, that particular, that universal intersection and extrapolation each of the other, allow that to even be possible because it has to unlock in the craft of image making and the use of sound has to be able to craft a way of putting black people up there on that screen that we're watching, whether it's on our computers or preferably at some beautiful theater where uh, we feel encompassed by the cinematic event, that being encompassed by that black representation is to be encompassed by an entire life and an entire world. Because caricatures and stereotypes make that impossible. There is no world of the stereotype. That's part of what the stereotype is. It's one dimensional. And unlocking the three dimensional character, right, as the craft of black Atlantic cinema, is about allowing the experience of blackness and anti-white uh, and anti-black racism and its connection to the history uh, shared history of domination by white people it's like unlocking elements of that 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 are common but also different across the black atlantic world to start to speak if i can use a you know a term that that goes in and out of vogue but is always worth bringing up right shared elements that constitute a real diaspora with real depth, right? To share 
things, to share experiences, to share common structures of resistance and cultural formation against anti-black racism, against white domination, right? And to articulate a life that maybe lies outside that. So seeing these commonalities while also attending to the differences between, say, segregation and colonialism, these are very different, between colonialism and slavery, right? To being a minority versus being a majority, right, in your country. These are all elements of difference. But again, part of what we want to be attuned to are these elements of, of how the craft of three-dimensional, crafting of three-dimensional characters allow other kinds of discourses and speculations about similarities and overlaps to emerge. I also, as a last thing, want to say one of the things I want us to draw out of, of Robert Townsend's film, and this is not so much what Robert Townsend was saying, but rather what he was doing, which is part of Black Atlantic cinema is always going to be cinema made on a budget. That these are not cinemas made out of you know the most highly trained and elite and experienced actors being paid millions of dollars and millions more dollars going into cinematography and editing and film stock and so forth that so much of what not all but so much of what we're going to watch across the semester is making films with very limited budgets and choosing as a filmmaker what are you going to do with those small budgets how are you going to use non-professional actors? How are you going to use editing techniques that either concede to the limits of your budget or try to, to trick us into not seeing that small budget, right? That has to do, again, with the sort of talents of a filmmaker. That Black Girl is made on a very small budget, but Sambin is a master editor, and you wouldn't necessarily know it. But at the same time, the use of non-professional actors everywhere across these films. For me, it's this really interesting connection between the cinematic event, which we think of as, as you know, this, I don't want to say elite, but this elevated cultural form that is also deeply connected to common people and common people's lives in the very presence of those common people on screen. And in that, I think Black Atlantic Cinema and the way we will talk about Black Atlantic Cinema is very deeply and very importantly uh, situated between the art and artistry of the filmmaker and the existential realities and urgencies of the political and cultural lives of everyday black people. <laughs>